Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. Well, if you've had a good week here at Southland, would you say amen? We certainly have appreciated the music uh, all week long, and it's been a great uh, blessing to my heart, and I hope it's been a great blessing to yours. Uh, I tell you, I love it when the song service just goes right along with what I'm going to preach on. Tonight, I'm going to preach on who is on the Lord's side, and we're going to talk about how the Lord is our strength, and it's the only way that we're going to make it in 2020. And so the music just really dovetailed perfectly and uh, can I just encourage you? It's important to get godly music into your life. I tell you, some of you, you are feeding on the junk of the world, and that's why you struggle. But when you have some of the music in your life that you've heard this week, I tell you, that can really help you, and it can really strengthen you. It can really be an encouragement to you. Um, I remember when I uh, finally gave the Lord my music, uh, I'll be honest with you, I really didn't like Christian music. I thought, man, this is like church music 24-7, you know, and the more I listened to it, it started to minister to my heart, and uh, I tell you, I'm just so very grateful for having the right kind of music, and so if you come from a home like that, praise the Lord for a mom and dad that would have some of those standards, but let me encourage you, stop by the, the bookstore uh, load up on some of the music that they have here. If you've enjoyed the music and it's been a blessing to you, um, man, take some of that home with you and uh, it'll be well worth it to forego maybe Chick-fil-A on the way home or a Starbucks and to pick up a good a God-honoring CD. And let me encourage you to check out their podcast as they have some things, that some sermons that they put up there and some resources. Uh, those will be a help and encouragement to you uh, as you go on uh, through this year. And so if you have your Bible, would you join me in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to take a look at really a, a familiar passage of Scripture to most of us tonight, but I want to talk uh, 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 about the end of this passage of Scripture, and a lot of preachers don't deal with the end, and I tell you, it's really amazing. We find some wonderful, wonderful truth, and really, I believe a message that'll really do us well if we would just heed uh, what we find here in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Would you look at that, Isaiah chapter 6? And would you look at verse number one? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved to the voice of him that cried in the house was filled with smoke. You know, one of the things that we need in 2020 is we need a fresh vision who God is. That God is on the throne, that God is sovereign, and that God is omnipotent. You realize, gang, God could overcome any problem that you have back home. 
God can defeat any giant that you have in your life. And God is so much bigger than what's facing you when you go home. And you really can live for God. And we need a fresh vision of who he is. But look at verse five. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because when you see God for all who he is, you can't help but see who you are. Then I said, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And would to God tonight that our eyes would see the King. And verse six, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Isn't it interesting that the cleansing agent was applied to the area of his body, specifically where he confessed his sin. He confessed the sin of his mouth, and that's where the coal touched. And you know what? I really think there's a principle there that you ought to be confessing sin specifically to God. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Amen. That's really not a mature believer's prayer. Really, when you confess your sin, it's a Greek word, homo legeo, and uh, it's two Greek words put together, homo meaning same, logos meaning word. Real confession is when you say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. Man, stop whitewashing your sin. Stop saying, God, forgive me of all my sin, amen. And start getting specific with God and be specific with him and call sin what it is. Take sides with God against yourself and call it what he calls it. And I tell you, there's wonderful cleansing that is applied, but would you look at verse eight? Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. And I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return. It shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. I want to preach a very simple message tonight entitled, Who is on the Lord's Side? Father, would you help us to be on your side tonight? We pray as we draw a line in the sand that, Father, tonight, young people in this room, they're going to have to make a choice and who they're going to follow. And, Father, I pray that you would stir us. Would you challenge us? And, God, would you change us tonight by your grace and for your glory that we would go home from this place, that we would live for you the rest of 2020, that we would unquestionably be somebody who's on your side. Father, there are some young people in this room, they're nothing but fence straddlers, and they're just straddling the fence, and they're just uh, riding right on the line. God, I pray tonight you'd push them over the line, and, Father, that they would live a life of allegiance to the King of Heaven. Father, I pray for those maybe who are still lost in this room tonight, that, Father, you would save them. Thank you for those, uh, Lord, that trusted you this week. And we're so excited for them as now they have heaven as their home. They have a, a new direction. They have a new destination, and they have new desires. Lord, we are just so grateful for what you've done in their life. I've talked to many this week that have trusted you as their Savior. God, would you just strengthen us? Would you just give us something tonight where we could go home and, and we could use these things uh, that we hear tonight and from this passage of scripture and have freedom and victory. Father, show us one thing in our life that needs to change. And then by your grace, would we see victory. 
Thank you again for what you'll do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It was several years ago I was traveling, and uh, as I was traveling, I uh, sat down in the airport, and uh, I saw a magazine that was sitting next to me. It was, uh, it was a Time magazine. I used to carry a subscription to Time magazine. They're so liberal, they made me mad. I canceled it. And, uh, but I sat down, and I looked at Time magazine, and I know I'm going to date myself as soon as I say this, but I sat down, and it said, the most influential people of 1997. And uh, I realized that uh, probably uh, many of you weren't even born then. And, uh, but, you know, I'm a sucker for those things. And I thought, wow, the, t- the 25 most influential people of 1997. I thought, well, uh, I-, I wonder who they are. And you know how they work these things? They never start with number one at the beginning of the magazine. They start with number 25. And as you flip through the magazine, you know, 24, 23, they do that. So you have to read all the advertisements. You got to read everything else in the magazine. You know, people would just, if they started with number one, you would just read number one, then probably put it away. And so I started with 25, 24, 23. Man, these are people I've never heard of. And I try to follow the news and, and what's going on. Uh, 16, 15, 14, it was some botanist that discovered a plant for, that had a cure for a disease you never heard of, you know? And uh, I started flipping through. I got down to number three. And the third most influential person in the United States of America, according to Time Magazine, was Dilbert. Now, if you don't know who Dilbert is, that's a comic strip. I thought, man, I can't wait to see who's number one. You know, Garfield? And so uh, I flip over, and the number one most influential person of 1997 was Tiger Woods. My, how things have changed. This was really Tiger's coming out party. And uh, he shattered the course record at the Masters. And uh, really, he put, golf, ra- he put uh, a golf ratings for TV on the map. All the other golfers today, they're very thankful for Tiger Woods because now all the tournament purses and all the money you get for winning the tournaments, they have all gone up. And really, that's, that's really because of, of, uh, of Tiger Woods. And, and uh, you know, he shattered the course record of the Masters. He, he got all these wins in the PGA. And I thought, well, man, I don't know about the most influential person of 1997, then it's almost like the Spirit of God said, Ron, who do you think the most influential person for me has been? Man, my mind ran to men like Moses. It ran to men like David. It ran to men like Daniel and Hosea. And uh, and it ran to men like Peter and James and John. But then uh, my mind ran to, I believe, what is often an unsung hero of our Bible, a man that God used incredibly, who was unquestionably on the Lord's side. It was this man, Isaiah. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. And really, I just want you to really note tonight, really, three characteristics of a kind of man or woman that God uses. You know, in a certain sense tonight, God's going to draw a line in the sand, and he is going to ask the question, who is on the Lord's side? From the beginning of time, God has always dealt with the, with, with the compromisers. You know what? There are some kids in this room, you've got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and yet you want to be saved and have heaven as your home, but yet you want to live and experience all the world has to offer. And you know what, gang? It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to decide tonight whose side you're on. And really, 
Moses had to deal with compromisers in his day, he came off the mountain and he asked the question, who is on the Lord's side? Elijah had to deal with compromisers in his day because he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? You know, if Baal is God, then you follow him. But if God is God, you follow him. Joshua said, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you're gonna serve. You know what the fact is, gang? You're gonna have to choose who you're gonna serve in 2020. You know what the apostle Paul said? You can sit at the table of devils and sit at the table of the Lord. It doesn't work that way. You're gonna have to get off the fence and you're gonna have to decide really what side that you're on. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. Either he's gonna love one or he's gonna hate the other. And you really need to figure out and drive a stake down deep that in 2020, you're gonna be someone who's on the Lord's side. Notice three characteristics of a kind of man or woman who is on God's side. Really three earmarks of a young person who is on the Lord's side. Notice first of all, somebody who was on the Lord's side is a person of dedication. Would you look at verse eight? He says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, here am I, send me. Really a kind of man or woman that God uses is someone who is with a reckless abandon, who is dedicated and surrendered and yielded to the spirit of God in their life. It's someone who takes everything, all their hands off their life and they said, God, all that I am and all that I have, God, you are in control, you have everything. Let me tell you, that's the kind of person that God is gonna use. Gang, listen to me, throughout the history of time, God has never looked for the majority to accomplish his will. He didn't need an army to go into Egypt to deliver his people out of the hand of Egypt. He needed one man named Moses who would simply believe. God didn't need an army with Gideon, a huge amount to go in. In fact, he whittled it down to 300. He just needed men who were willing to go and who were, who were surrendered. God didn't need an army to go out on the battlefield and defeat Goliath, that champion of sin. He needed one man who just was willing, a young man named David, who was willing to go out and do some great things for God. You see, gang, it's not about the size of your talent. It's all about the size of your surrender. And the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And the scripture says, which is holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, which is your logical service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed that you may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in your life. You know what? God is looking for kids in this room that you're gonna be all in. And God's on a manhunt in your youth group and in your schools and in your churches for kids that are gonna be all in. I don't care what the crowd says. Man, I care what he says. It is a person of dedication. Can I ask you tonight, are you really a person of dedication? Does God have full control over your media choices? Let me tell you, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that rock music is really not healthy for your spiritual walk in Christ. Let me tell you, when Lizzo gets up and sings, and excuse me, I'm quoting the name of the song, Good As Hell. If that's talking about how his life is going, he doesn't have much to live for. 
Do you really need for your walk with the Lord? Dan and Shay joined Justin Bieber as they sang 10,000 uh, 10, hours. I mean, it's amazing to me that Justin Bieber is even still popular at all. I mean, we could go down the list, and man, is it, do you really wonder, do you really have to have an exposition to figure out, man, that this stuff is not gonna help your walk with the Lord? And there are some kids in this room, maybe you've got some music that glorifies the immorality, and it glorifies all of the drug abuse, and it glorifies bitterness and anger, and maybe even self-mutilization, and even, even taking your life, and, and this is the kind of stuff that you're immersed in. You know what? You're not a person of dedication. Because our music is for him, and it ought to reflect his glory. Are you really dedicated in your media choices? You know what, gang? Pornography is absolutely killing us in this country. You know what? This is the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. You know what, gang? Could I just tell you, you're not the first to struggle with this. And you won't be the last. And if you work with Gen Zers today and you work with millennials, it's not as pornography involved in your life. It's almost to the point is, to what extent? Or what are you doing to fight it? I tell you, gang, you didn't choose to grow up in this generation that you're growing up in. And you know what? My heart goes out to you. You guys are having to face some things you know what, that I really didn't have to face to this extent when I was a teenager. I mean, I went to college before Al Gore invented the internet, you know, and, uh, and, and, and only the adults laugh at that, but uh, you guys can't remember, there, you know, you guys were born with a device in your hand. Yeah, I went to college, man, without, we didn't have even internet at the time, and, and, and you guys are dealing with some things, you know what, that we never had to face, but let me tell you, you can live for God. Don't you ever quit on God. He's never gonna quit on you. But do you realize tonight $2,389 is spent on pornography every second in this country? You realize that one out of every four mobile searches on uh, mobile devices or searches on the internet are for pornography. The average age of a young person that sees pornography for the first time is age 10. They get curious, something happens, it, they hear something at school, they're just curious. They're not even looking for something that's wrong. They're curious, and because their parents don't have their heart, they're embarrassed to talk to their parents. So you know what they do? They go home, they Google it, and they hit image search, and then it's game over. And all they're doing is collecting baggage now from age 10, just like some of you. And there are kids in this room, some guys, some girls, and by the way, girls, one out of every three porn users, they are women. And really, they take in the pornography uh, textually. Fifty Shades of Grey was a book long before it was a movie. And maybe there are some young ladies in this room, you're reading a bunch of trash and a bunch of smut, but there are some young people in this room, you can bring some pictures, some images to your mind as clear as day, and maybe your brain, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and maybe your brain is filled with some of the stuff that is just scraped off the walls of hell. Can I just tell you, you can have victory. You don't have to live just in this, in this stranglehold of that pornography. And you know what? You're sitting here. You've prayed to God a million times for God to forgive you. And you've promised him you'd never do it again. And you know what? Man, you're right back into it. 
And you're not the first to struggle with it, and you won't be the last, but are you really a person of dedication? You really think that you're gonna feed your porn addiction willingly and then have God's power on your life? Let me tell you, you're not a person on God's side. And you can have victory. Crow walked up to us. She said, we caught my dad on a wicked website. I don't know what to do. We said, have you ever, have you ever talked to your pastor? She said, he is my pastor. James Dawson had a hotline for those struggling with pornography that you could call and receive counseling. One out of every seven calls to that hotline were made by a pastor seeking counsel for himself. Man, it's Satan's A-team. Pornography is, you know why? First of all, it's anonymous. You think, or so you think, nobody will ever find out. Do you realize that your records are kept every three years, every click of a mouse that you make, or every link that you click on? Let me tell you, there's a lot of other people that know where you've been, not just yourself. The federal court, for some reason, they got the proper clearance and they accessed your internet browsing history that no one has access to, what would they find? Ezekiel 11, 5, for I know the things that come into their mind, every one of them. Listen, God knows every website you've been to. He saw it with his own eyes. And the scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. Every private sin on earth is a public scandal in heaven. And you may have shut your door and locked it. And you know what? You think you're the only person that knows what goes on in that room. But let me tell you, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. God's eyes are in your bedroom. God's eyes are with you at school. God's eyes are on your tablet, on your phone. He knows everywhere that you have been. And you know what, man? That's maybe why you're not a person of dedication. And you know what? you need to do tonight you need to ask God to forgive you and with his power and grace he can give you victory but you need to dedicate you need to give that part of your life to him because it will continue to strangle you and it's so anonymous number two it's affordable 50% of all pornographic sales since uh, really 2007 have declined you know what that's because most of it is free now man it's so accessible number three any open uh, any open uh, hotspot, you can go to any website you want, download any image that you want. Mom and dad in the room and sponsors, please, please don't be naive enough to think that maybe your kids or your grandkids would never be involved with something wicked on the internet. Adults in the room, could I ask you a question? If you had the internet when you were a teenager, what would you have done with it? Oh yeah, that puts it in a different light, doesn't it? And it gives us a little bit more compassion for a younger generation. I remember preaching at a camp, preaching on pornography. A kid walked out. He said, preacher, you nailed me. In that service, he held up his iPhone, which he shouldn't even have at camp. He said, I have over 800 images on this cell phone, and my mom and dad don't even know how to turn it on or know what my passcode is. Sponsors and parents, if your kids give you heat about having a cough up, their password for their Instagram, their Snapchat, their Facebook, I'm telling you there's already a problem. Please do not let your young people manipulate you into saying, you know what, come on, I just need some privacy. You know what, young person, there is not one young person in this room that needs privacy out of hygiene and getting dressed. Not one of you. You know what they're really saying? Hey, just give me a little place in my life where I don't have any accountability. 
I remember dealing with a guy who made some very wicked choices. He sat in my office and says, you know what, I want your Instagram password. I have my computer right there. He's sitting in my office. He gave me the password. I started to type it in. He put his head down and just started weeping. I'm like, it's that bad? I hadn't even logged in yet. And that's some of you. And you wonder why God seems a thousand miles away. You wonder why your prayers bounce off the ceiling. You wonder why you read the Bible, you don't get anything out of it. You know what the fact is? You have left him and you're serving yourself. And man, there's so much more of a greater life than you can have. Man, if you'll just surrender and give him those things, listen, God's not gonna rob you. The Bible says it's the devil who comes in to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God has come that he might give life and that he might give it more abundantly. Listen, the devil is the one that is robbing you. Man, if you'll just give your media choices to him, man, there's a peace and a power that comes. The scripture says, guard your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Listen, your media is a heart issue. These are things that go right to your heart. You know, Job says, mine eye affects my heart because of the daughters of my city. You know what? The devil knows there's something about the eye gate that goes right to your heart. In Job 31.1, Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? There is something that goes right from your eye to your heart, and the devil knows it. I tell you what, some of you, he is just nailing you to the wall and he is destroying. You know what? You ought to give your media choices to him. Your music, your TV, your internet. Listen, there's nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with a TV or an iPad. There's nothing wrong with technology, but it's the content that comes across those devices. That's what I'm talking about. And I tell you, unless you get dedicated and you surrender some of these areas of your life, let me tell you, you're going to continue to struggle. You're going to continue to spiral down a road that, man, at the end is incredible, incredible destruction. And the devil is massacring some of your minds with the wicked media that we have today. Are you really a person of dedication? Are you dedicated in your media choices? Are you dedicated in your future plans? You know what? Every kid in this room ought to consider going to a Christian college. You might laugh and say, well, hang on a second, preacher. You know what? Um, you know, I don't want to go to a Christian college. I don't mean to be unkind tonight, but it doesn't matter where you want to go. It matters where he wants you to go. And God may want you to go to a Christian college that has a bunch of strict rules because maybe that's what you need. Man, I went from public high school from wearing shorts, a t-shirt, flip-flops, and a hat on backwards to having to go wear a tie every day. Man, I thought I was on a different planet, man. So I was like, where in the world am I? I did things my first week of Bible college. I probably could have got kicked out for several times over. I mean, if I can make it through Bible college, I promise you some of you can. But I want you to think about it. Some of you, in the next five to seven years, you're going to make the greatest decisions of your life. Who are you going to marry? What kind of job you're going to have? Most of the major things you're going to believe about the Bible, you're going to decide the next five to seven years. 
And man, when you go to a Christian college and there are teachers that love you, there are people that want to invest in you, and you're at a place where you hear the word of God preached every day, and I tell you, that's the kind of environment that you want to spend those college years. I remember it was after a soccer practice that there were a few guys uh, that stayed after soccer practice. We didn't have to be there. It wasn't some official thing, but we we just sat down on the soccer field. One guy says, you know, we found out, you need to pray for my mom. We found out she has cancer. Another guy says, hey, would you pray for my mom and dad? They, they've been unfaithful to each other. They're gonna get a divorce. Another guy said, would you pray for me? My dad lost his job. I'm gonna have to leave school because of finances. As a freshman, right out of public high school, on that soccer field after practice, these guys just got on their knees and they started to weep and they started to beg. And and these were some guys that knew how to get a hold of God. You know, through the power of prayer that semester, we saw that guy's mom healed of cancer divinely. We saw that that other guy's parents, they got right with God, they got back together and are still together tonight. That other guy whose dad lost his job, he got a different job with even more pay than the first one. And the first time in my life, I was seeing the power of God. You know what I said? That's my crowd. Man, that's the crowd I want to run with. And it's a great place really to find a mate. I told you, I know that you feel like if I'm going to marry anybody in my youth group, I'm doomed forever. And uh, man, there were people there that, that you didn't even know exist, guys and girls that love God, wanted to do what's right, that had some of the same convictions uh, really as, as you do. You know, are you really surrendered for your future plans? No, I'm not telling you you could never go to a state school or a community college. Listen, I'm not telling you that, but if God leads you there, you better know that it's God's will and not just you trying to manipulate things. And you better be in your Bible preaching, sin-hating church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night because you're going to need it from the onslaught and the attack on your faith that you're going to have to go through. And if it's God's will that you go into the military, praise God for believers in the military. Those soldiers are my heroes. I tell you, they really are. We have men and women defending our freedom and our liberties tonight that they are my heroes. So I'm not disdaining that at all. But what I'm saying is make sure that it's his will, not yours. Consider going to a Christian college. I'm not paid by any Christian college to say that. But I'm telling you, those were times when I just surrendered my future to the Lord. Man, I tell you, that that's really when the power began. You know what? These missionaries, I just knew it. I just knew it. If I really gave my life to Christ and I surrendered and I surrendered to go into the ministry, if I really got serious about God and surrendered my life to Christ, I knew it. I just knew it. God was going to call me to be a missionary. In my mind, that was like the worst thing you could ever do. I mean, we'd have these missionaries roll in in the 80s and they would come into our church and he would get up there. He would say, brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? I need a left sock. (laughs) And I'm like next to my buddy in junior high. I'm going, whoa, dude, what happened to that left sock? 
hey, would you pray for my wife? She needs the right shoe. I'm like, they ought to swap, you know, and get together, you know. And, and would you pray for us? We have a car, but it doesn't have an engine. We just kind of coast down the hill and to get our supplies, and we got a bummer when we got to push it up the hill afterwards, you know. And would you pray for us? We have to eat pythons and kill them every day for breakfast. And, and all the while, he's giving his missionary report, and this guy is sinking lower in the pulpit. I mean, he's discouraging himself by his own missionary report. And then he stops and says, young people, give your life to God and be a missionary. I'm on the front row going, no way! Man, no way I'm doing that! You're crazy, but that's what my idea was of ministry. I was gonna have to dig ditches in Africa, wear clothes out of a missionary barrel, kill pythons and eat them. I mean, uh, you know, listen, I that, was my, that was my view of what really selling out to Christ for. Can I tell you this? That the greatest thing in all the world is serving him. I'm not even worthy to be a missionary. I'll tell you the greatest thing in all the world is serving him. Joshua said, if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day and you serve. There was a day that I thought it was evil to serve the Lord, but I'm telling you, serving the Lord is the greatest thing in all the world. Would you consider surrendering tonight for what we call full-time Christian service? Being a pastor, if you're a man, a young man, an evangelist, a missionary, maybe if you're a young lady, maybe becoming a missionary yourself, or maybe marrying a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary. There are hundreds of things you can do in full-time service. My curbster can't run this camp forever. You know what, maybe the next director of South and Christian Camp is sitting right here in this room tonight. You know, maybe hundreds of things you could do. You can be involved in the music ministry and you could be a music pastor or teach music in a Christian school. If you're a young lady, you could be a teacher in a Christian high school or a Christian elementary school, a Christian high school coach or athletics, graphic design. Do you know how many ministries need that? You could have a full-time job helping other ministries. And let me tell you, there are hundreds of things that you can do in God's service. And you know what? Really today, just like Isaiah, He's saying, who will go for us? And he's looking for kids in this room will say, here I am, send me. Because let me tell you, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, our Bible colleges were filled to capacity with men and women giving their life to preach the gospel and take it to the uttermost parts of the world. These missionaries, pastors, evangelists, they are now coming home in record numbers with hardly anybody to take their place. The Bible college that I attended, we had a thousand in our ministerial class. Tonight they have 120. Our Bible colleges are a fraction of what they used to be. They're coming home by 5,000, and we're trying to replace them with 500. Man, would you consider giving your life for full time Christian service? It was in a service in a revival meeting. An evangelist preached on Matthew 9 and the harvest. And as a 15-year-old boy from public high school, I went down to the front of the church right there by the Oregon. I got on my knees and said, God, if you could ever use me as an evangelist, God, I'm willing to go. And that night, I surrendered to evangelism. The same fall 
that same evangelist was 900 miles away in Kansas City preaching at Eagle Heights Baptist Church. There was a 13-year-old girl named Kristen that was so drawn to the ministry of evangelism, she responded in that service. She said, God, if you could ever use me to marry an evangelist, God, I'm willing to go. God, would you do that? Listen, at ages 13 and 15, your age right now, we were making decisions that we're gonna affect the rest of her life. Now, we didn't meet till she was 24 and I was 26, but I'm telling you, God, at, at those ages, we were making decisions that impacted the rest of her life. Would you consider giving your life to full-time ministry? Because I'm telling you, gang, all around the world, the fields are wide and the harvest. God is doing some amazing things. And time wouldn't permit me tonight to tell you what God is doing in the Far East. I tell you, down in the Philippines, the evangelism is hot down their people are coming to Christ. A youth pastor friend of mine went to Ecuador. They had a thousand come to Christ in really two weeks time. Our youth group uh, years ago, a few years ago, they went into Panama. They flew in on helicopters. They did open air meetings and, did, and brought in medical supplies. They saw 200 come to Christ in one week. I'm telling you, I wish I could have taken you to Ireland, England, and Scotland with me as we had barn burners of meetings as people got saved and they trusted the Lord. I wish I could tell you and tell you all the things that God is doing in India tonight, how he is raising men and women up who are willing to give their life for the sake of the gospel. Mike Herbster and I, about 10 years ago, we flew into a, a, a small village named Nikoya in Cameroon, Africa, and we landed in a little Cessna plane there in the field. We got out, we hiked three miles into the middle of the jungle. We saw two teenage guys, we broke out a big ball, we blew it up, we started to play with them. Before you know it, there were 500 people all surrounded around us. I mean, it was a little bit creepy. You didn't know there was even that many people there in the jungle, you know, and, and there's 500 of them, and, you know, there's all the parents, the grandparents, all the kids. We thought this is the goodest time as any. I took two chairs, put them together, preached a simple 20-minute gospel message, and listen to me, over 200 came to Christ and that little impromptu service in the middle of the jungle. There were three churches that started that day. I am still in contact with the man who pastors those churches. Let me tell you, don't tell me the fields aren't white. Man, I've seen it. And God could use you. And I don't think it's grandstanding to say that sitting in this room tonight are some guys and girls that God is going to use you much greater than I ever thought about dream, dream being used. Sitting in this room tonight could be the next Hudson Taylor, the father of modern missions. Sitting in this room tonight could be the next Jonathan Goforth that shook China for the glory of Christ. Sitting in this room could be the next D.L. Moody. Sitting in this room could be the next R.A. Torrey. Sitting in this room could be the next Charles Spurgeon and the man that God is going to, or another George Whitfield that God is going to use to send a great awakening. Let me tell you, sitting in this room is a potential of some guys and girls that God is going to use you far greater than you ever imagined. And I'm telling you, the fields are white. Would you simply be one of these who says, you know what, God, I'll go. Would you consider tonight giving your life for a full-time Christian service? as a pastor, a missionary evangelist, or a young lady as a missionary, Christian education, whatever that happens to be, would you consider giving your life for a full-time Christian service tonight? All of us, we're not, maybe not in full-time Christian service, but all of you are full-time Christians. 
Let me tell you, being a part-time Christian, you're never gonna defeat a full-time devil. And when you got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and you don't even know what side you're on, and you're riding the fence, let me tell you, you're not gonna make it. Get off the fence and get dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a person, number one, of dedication. But look at the text. He says, here am I, Lord, send me. Look now what God says to him. He says in verse nine, he says, and he said, go and tell this people, hearing indeed, but understand not, seeing indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So in other words, he's saying, listen, I want you to go and preach and they're gonna see you, but they won't see the truth. They will hear you, but they won't hear the truth. Their heart is gonna get dull. They're not going to respond. Look what Isaiah says in verse 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do you want me to do that? I mean, how would you like it for God to call you to be a missionary or a pastor and, and say, oh, by the way, nobody's gonna listen to you and nobody's gonna be converted? Like, who wants to sign up for that? He said, Lord, how long? And notice what he says, and he answered and said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate and the Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. You know what he's talking about? The captivity of Babylon. You know what he's saying? Isaiah, these people, listen, God, before he always drops the hammer of judgment, always, always in the Bible, he sent a messenger. He sent his word to give them a fair sh chance and a fair shake. You're going the wrong way and they're confronted with the word just like he's confronted some of you this week. And he said, these people are stubborn. They've turned their back on me. You go preach to them, but you preach till there is nobody left. Till everybody is gone and they're taken away into captivity. When you study the book of Isaiah and you study the preaching of Isaiah, almost every chapter, beginning in, in chapter seven through the rest of the book, almost every chapter, he began to faithfully preach the message that they're going the wrong way, that they should turn their heart back to God all through the tens, all through the, all through the chapters of the 20s. You get to chapter 33. He said, we mourn like bears and salvation is afar off from us. He went after the drunkards. He went after the cowards. He went after the those that were stealing uh, uh, real estate and monopolizing real estate and ripping off and, and, and defrauding old people. He started to call out their sin all through the 40s, all through the 50s, all through the 60s. You get to the very last verse of the book of Isaiah and Isaiah 66 as you come to the end of the book and the Bible says, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me for the worm dieth not where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Listen, to Isaiah's last breath he warned them persistently if church history is true these people hated Isaiah so bad they put him in a log and they sawed him in half that's why when you read Hebrews 11 it talks about some being sawn asunder that was him 
And you know why God used this man? He was not only a person to dedication, but number two, he was a person of diligence. If you're, man, if you're gonna be someone who's on the Lord's side, you not only have to be a person of dedication, you have to be a person of diligence. He served the Lord fervently. I think as they were sawing me in half, he probably said, God, I did the best that I could. I served you almost every chapter. I preached your message. God, I did what you wanted me to do. Listen, we live in a seeker-sensitive seeker world today. If some of these megachurches, if Isaiah lived today, some of these megachurches would have looked at Isaiah and they would have said, dude, you're a failure. You don't know how to do it. You really just need to be relevant to people. And you, just, you, you did it all wrong because they're all about numbers. And they said, you know, man, you did it all wrong. But you realize that Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament quoted more times in the New Testament by anybody else, quoted more times by Jesus than anybody else. He had an incredible ministry. You know what God was doing? God needed a messenger to go preach the message of judgment. All the people were gonna go into captivity, but look at verse 10. He says, but yet in it shall be a tent and it shall return to be eaten as a teal tree. You know what is he saying? They're coming back. There's gonna be a remnant and a tent that's gonna come back. I'm gonna great and make a great nation out of them. I just need a man who is willing to stand when nobody's willing to do what's right and to be a person of diligence and God used it tremendously. Listen, God's looking for kids in this room for you to be people of diligence. I was involved in a ministry called the war. We would travel all over the country. We'd go to public high schools it would, and we would recruit people to come out to this youth activity. It was a three-day competition a sports competition for teenagers. We would have the big ball was four feet tall, four feet wide. We would use it to compete in a big ball basketball, big ball volleyball. I mean, this big ball was so big, this ball would attack Shaq back. I mean, it's huge. And uh, we, would, uh, we would play big ball volleyball. One of the games uh, that we played was called spoke tackle. It was a race where anything goes. You could tackle, trip, push, shove, body check, DDT, figure four, Boston Crab, you know, figure four leg lock. You could half Nelson, you can full Nelson, you can Willie Nelson for all I care. I mean, I mean, almost anything would go in the race. You know, a guy was in front of you, you give him a shove, you can use his face for a springboard and win the race, you know? And uh, now it's the only game we didn't let the guys go with the girls. We didn't want the guys to get hurt. You know, guys, guys, could you imagine some 300-pound beauty queen named Bertha falling on you? Um, you know, that'll, that'll change your personality or give you a bad hair day, one of the two, I'm sure. And, uh, but, you know, we didn't want the guys to get hurt. Then we would have a tug of war over a thigh-deep mud pit. I mean, we would spend all day digging this mud pit down four feet deep. We would put the mud back in in the water. We would stir it up. It was just like a Wendy's Frosty. Man, it was awesome. We would lose everything in this mud pit. Socks, shoes, junior high kids. Man, it was great, you know? And uh, on one particular night, there was a guy that came, and uh, he, was, <clears throat> he was the captain of the local high school football team. And uh, on the last competition of the tug of war, he tied the rope around his waist. The team captain said, man, don't do that. He said, man, we haven't lost a competition all week. We're not gonna lose it now. He's like, okay. He walked off. He didn't tell them that 60 kids from the high school that had not been there all week long came that night and all of them joined the other team. Well, when they started the tug of war, his team started to lose first time all week. 
as their team got closer to the mud pit, man, there were a bunch of pansies. All the guys ditched the rope. They didn't want to go through the mud pit. And it came down to the point where there was 150 kids on this side and one dude on this side. <laughs> and he had the rope tied around his waist. Now, there's got to be a scientific name for this. I don't know what it is, but it's amazing. And science should prove this out. Every kid on this side, all 150 of them, they all had this same thought at the same time. We're taking that dude for a ride. They turned around and they started the run. The guy's like trying to get the rope off, you know, like this. Man, this guy's li literally, this guy's probably like 220. He is huge. He hits the ground. He starts flying right towards that mud pit. He hits a bump right in front of the mud pit. He goes in the air and he goes head first in the mud pit. They drag him underneath the water and then he popped up on the other side like a chocolate beached whale. I mean, he looked like a Hershey's kiss with eyeballs. He was completely covered, you know, covered with mud. And so we, we would do all kinds of stuff. So on one particular night, there was a kid who came who was in a wheelchair. We thought, oh man, that's awesome. But no way he could play the games. Nobody told him that. Big ball volleyball. He's out there. The ball's about to land on his team's side. He rolls his wheelchair and it slides under the big ball. Boom, bounces it off of his wheelchair. It goes over the net, lands on the other side. I mean, single-handedly, he scored a point for the other team. Man, his team went crazy. This guy is rolling his wheelchair around. Boom, bouncing it off his big ball. You know, big ball basketball, same thing. Now, we didn't let him play spoke tackle. How would you like a wheelchair in the face? Bam, you know what? And uh, so we got to the tug of war. And we thought, no way that kid's going to play this game. He was in the back of the line, moving his wheelchair back like this with the rope in his teeth. I thought, man, this kid is something else. We got to this service that night. We were down in a fellowship hall in southern Georgia in a church. There was about 200 lost public high school kids in there, and the gospel was preaching. God started to work and do something in that room. When the invitation was given, a huge crowd of young people under conviction coming to Jesus Christ to be saved, so many people started to come forward that if you were in the right place in that room, in that fellowship hall, you could see this young man start to maneuver his wheelchair out, but there were so many people coming forward, he couldn't maneuver it out in the aisle. So in a room full of his lost public high school friends, he threw himself out of his wheelchair, he flopped and crawled on his face to the front in order to get saved and would to God we would serve him with that kind of diligence and that's what he's calling for you to do when you go home and if you don't have a plan you're planning to fail and you could tweet that too Man, if you go home and you don't have a plan, you are going to fail. It's gonna take some energy. It's gonna take some work. And God uses people who are people of dedication. God, I'm all in. And you're leveraging all that you are and all that you have. God, here's my media choices. God, here's my future plans. God, here's every area of my life. And number two, be a person of diligence. But quickly, would you look, number three, you need to be a person. A person who's on the Lord's side is a person of dependence. Look back. 
back at verse number 13. It says, but yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And so here is a promise. You know what, Isaiah? Yes, they're not going to listen to you and they're all going to be taken away into captivity, but just be patient. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And there is going to be a tent and they're going to come back and I'm going to make a great nation out of them. Isaiah was a man who just believed God could do what he said. He was a man of dependence. I believe as they put him in that log and they sawed him in half, that maybe was the only thing that kept him going. God, I didn't see any fruit, but you told me that there's going to be a tenth, and he just trusted in his God. He was a man of dependence. Gang, could I just tell you, if you're going to make it in 2020 and be on the Lord's side, you have got to be a person of dependence. If even one kid in this room gets this man, it's going to be worth it. Failure is God's discipleship program. In other words, when you fail, you know what God is showing you? You need me. So many times in weeks like this, kids go home and they're all excited. They say, you know what? I'm not gonna commit that sin. I'm not gonna commit that sin. I'm not gonna commit that sin. They go home and you know what they do? They do that sin. Because you know what? You go home and you try to live for the Lord in your own willpower. Listen, gang, God doesn't want your willpower. He wants your will. And some of you got some sin habits and some strongholds in your life and you may have thrown your music out many times. You told God a million times you'd give up your porn, your porn addiction. And so many times you've asked God to forgive you, yet you keep going right back to it. It's because you're trying to do it in your own strength. You know what it is? It's you saying, God, I've got some strongholds. I can't beat them, but you can't hear what you just take them. Man, that's dependence. A life-changing verse for me was Colossians 2, 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Listen to me as I break this down. What was Paul talking about? He says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. Listen, when you got saved, and praise God for some of you, this happened this week. When you got saved, you came to the point where you realized that you broke God's law and you're a sinner and there was nothing you could do in order to get to heaven. You couldn't live enough you couldn't do enough good works you couldn't pay for your own sin and you came to the jarring realization that you need a savior so what did you do the only thing you could do you depended on christ to be your savior as you've received christ jesus the lord so walk in him so too listen gang there comes a day in your christian life when you realize that you can't do all the good things that God wants you to do in your own strength, that you're gonna fail. So what do you do? You trust in Christ to be your sanctifier. And he's saying, gang, the same way you got saved, depending on God to do the work, is the same way you live the Christian life, by faith and dependence. Galatians 2.20, I'm now crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the 
faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what the very next verse in Galatians 2 says? He says, for I do not frustrate the grace of God. Listen, when you go home and you say, man, I'm not gonna look at that porn. I'm not gonna listen to that rock music. I'm gonna honor my mom and dad. Man, I'm gonna start loving people the way that God wants me to. I'm gonna forgive these other people. And you go home and do it in your own strength. Man, you are gonna miserably fail. And I have people all the time, they look at me and they say, you know what, preacher, I tried it and it just doesn't work. They make decisions, they go home and they try to live for God and they say, it just doesn't work. Well, what's it? It's not God. Isaiah 40, 26, he is strong and not one that faileth. What is it? It's not the Bible. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, the Bible does not return void to the purpose to which it is sent. You know what it is? It is us. And when you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, man, you're gonna fail every time. It irritates me ad nauseum when people knock camp decisions. Oh, you're just gonna go to that little Southland Christian camp and you're gonna get all just wrapped up and make an emotional decision and you're gonna make all these camp decisions, but we give you two weeks and you're gonna be right back with the rest of us. Yeah, you're on fire for God. Hey, two weeks, you'll be back right with the rest of us. And they start saying, and you hear this, people say this, that camp decisions or revival meetings, they don't work. Well, excuse me, my camp decisions I made 20 years ago are doing just fine tonight. And I tell you, I sat in some services where there were some men that were filled with the power and the spirit of God that put some fire in my bones that has never gone out. And my came decisions are doing just fine. You can go home and you can live for God. But listen, if you're gonna do it by yourself, you are gonna fail every time. You need to be a person of dedication and diligence, but you've gotta be a person of diligence. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You can do it, but he can. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. David running out to Goliath. He said, you come to me with a sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And anybody who ever did anything for God, they got it right. They tapped in to the power of God. You know what Paul said? He said, the good things I want to do, don't do them. The bad things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Can you identify with that? Because I sure can. He said, oh, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It's almost like Paul says, God, I can't do it, I quit. And it's almost like God says, all right, Paul, now we can get somewhere. Because now Paul, in chapter eight, learns what it is to be filled with the spirit, and now he doesn't struggle with the sin anymore. Listen, with the power of God in your life, you can have victory over that porn addiction. You can have a victory over every giant in your life. And you know what, if you're just someone who lives by dependence. Years ago, there was a story of a man in the Pacific Northwest that he was, a, he was a lumberjack and during the weekend he went into town and there was a hardware store there in town. He walked into the hardware store, there was a sign that said brand new invention guaranteed <coughs> to cut down 10 times uh, more trees than with your conventional ax. Well, he thought, man, this is right up my alley. So he walks into the hardware store. He says, I'm interested about this new invention. The store owner said, man, I'm telling you, you're gonna fall in love with this. You're gonna go back to the logging camp. You're gonna come back and buy 100 of these. He put down on the counter the brand new invention called the chainsaw. 
Paul, this man bought it. It was a 100% money back guarantee. The, man, the lumberjack bought it and he went back to the logging camp filled with eagerness, excitement, anticipation as to how everything was gonna change. Paul, the next week, and he walks back into the logging camp. He takes that chainsaw. He throws it up on the counter. The store owner says, man, how'd you like it? He said, I can't even cut down half as many trees with this piece of junk you call a chainsaw than I can with my ax. And the store owner's thinking, man, there's no way. Hold on a second. I want to see this thing. So he grabs, the, he grabs the, that uh, chainsaw, and, and he starts to look through it. The spark plugs were fine. Uh, the gas and the oil were mixed. It was a two-cycle engine. You know, that was fine. And, and man, he says, man, I don't understand this. And he flipped the on switch, and it had a little pull start. You know how a lot of our lawnmowers do? And you pull the cord. Well, the engine started up, and it went, ran, ran, ran. And the lumberjack leaned over the counter, and he looked at the store owner and said, what's that noise? This lumberjack had gone in the Pacific Northwest to these 10-foot redwoods. He took the chainsaw without ever turning it on, and he started to chop down the redwoods like this. And you know what? He got frustrated, and he quit. And if that's what being a lumberjack was all about, I'd want to quit too. Gang, I want you to listen to me. Some of you, you're going to go home from this weekend, and you're going to go back home, and you are filled with eagerness, excitement, anticipation about what you heard this week, how everything is going to change, and you're going to go to the redwoods of your sin. And you're going to go to the redwoods of your pornography or your media abuse, or you're going to go to your pornography of your, of your filthy potty talk mouth and your cursing, and you're going to try to chop down those redwoods of sin in your own strength. You are going to fail. And if that's what Christianity was all about, I'd be frustrated too. But you know what dependence does? It turns on the power. You can't. But man, he can. And God could use even one kid in your school, your youth group, your church, if he is a person of dedication, I'm all in. A person of diligence, God, I'm not gonna quit. Don't you ever quit on God, he's not gonna quit on you. And a person of dependence. That's the kind of person who's on God's side. And you know what tonight? However you live life in 2019, doesn't matter. You can't do anything about the past. Your, your question tonight is, whose side are you going to be on in 2020? A king was walking through his town, and he saw a beggar on the side of the road, and the beggar had a bowl of rice, and the king looked down. He says, beggar, give me your rice. And the beggar thought, this is all I have. You're the king. You have everything. Can you want my bowl of rice? The beggar took his disease-infested, withered hand, and he reached into that bowl of rice, and he pulled out three of the blackest grains of rice out of that bowl. He then turned and deposited those three black grains of rice against the fair, clean hand of the king. The king snapped his fingers. As the story is told, the guard walked over. The king unlocked the box. He opened it up and took three of the shiniest gold coins out of that box. He then turned and he deposited those three shiny gold coins into the disease-infested withered hand of that beggar. The beggar's eyes began to over 
fill with tears as he was just overwhelmed by amazement of what had just taken place. The king started to walk off and then he stopped. He turned and he looked back at that beggar. He says, you know, if you would have given me the whole bowl, I would have given you the whole box. And right now, tonight, you know what God's saying? Just give me your bowl. Come on, man, just give me your bowl. Just give me everything. Man, I'll give you the box. But we are just like that beggar, and we pick and choose things out of our lives that we don't really care about. We throw them at our king and think he'll be happy so we can keep our own areas to ourselves. That's not a person who's on the Lord's side. And tonight, you know what? God wants your life lock, stock, and barrel. He wants everything. And tonight, at the beginning of 2020, would you just give him the bowl? Hold on, man, it's going to give you the box. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.